At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. So thank you for welcoming uh, me and my wife Brenda this morning. So appreciate the warm reception here at your church. I really love the the title for the women's retreat, and it is so applicable for what we're going to talk about today: <clears throat> known and wanted. That I didn't title this sermon, but if I had to, that would be a perfect title for this sermon: known and wanted. So I hope. I hope that I magnify Jesus Christ today. That is my goal above all else. So I just hope that you see how amazing Christ is, how amazing our God, and how much that he loves and pursues us. So I want to ask the question today, and I want to answer the question today, what is our greatest need? So there's 8 billion people in this world. What is every person's greatest need? And if you, were to, if you were to take a survey of all 8 billion people, you'd probably hear things like, well, food, water, shelter, you know, maybe a job. And those things are good. Those things are, those things are very good, and we need those things. But here's the, here's the truth, church. You could have all those things given to you and still not have your greatest needs met. Okay, and so I want to ask that question today. I want to answer that question today. What is our greatest need? And the beautiful thing is that Scripture answers that. Scripture answers that question, and John 4 answers that question today. And so we're we're going to see this, what is this greatest need, and John 4 is going to speak to that. Okay, so where are we going? So I'm going to Hang tight, I'm going to walk right back through that, but I'm going to stop along the way and give some pointers. And then I'm going to answer that with three answers. I'm going to answer that question with three things. And then I'm going to move into an application and then a conclusion. So that's where we're going. Okay, so just a couple quick notes before we get into it. Pastor Kirk could no kidding probably spend about two months just in this section alone. There are so many gems in this passage, so I am, I'm doing an 80,000 foot flyover today, but there is, there is no kidding so much here, so I encourage you to sit with this passage, go home, study it, uh, because I'm just not going to cover every single thing that is in here. This is the only place we find this woman spoken of uh, in the Gospel of John. The other Gospels do not mention her, and this is written by John the Disciple, not John the Baptist, so there's a couple of Johns in Scripture, it is not John the Baptist, it is the disciple, John. So, all right, so let's walk through this, and I'm going to point out some things as we go. Okay, it says, verse, John 4, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So Jesus is starting to ruffle the feathers of the Pharisees. He's starting to make some noise amongst them, but he's not, he's, the time is not now for a confrontation. So he proceeds on to Galilee. 
Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So when you see that phrase, had to, don't think that there was like a traffic jam and he, you know, just couldn't go that way. He had to go around. No, the had to, it indicates a divine purpose. It, in, it indicates that Jesus had a meeting with this woman planned already. And I love it that it shows that our Jesus was tired. Like, our Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man too. So he experienced tiredness. He experienced hunger. He experienced the things that we experience. Moving on, verse 7 and 8. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So we know from the Old Testament that when the women would go get water, they would go in the cool of the evening, not at noon when the sun is at its hottest. So this is an early indication that there's something, there's something immoral about this woman. There's something that is causing her to go to the well at noon, okay? So that's our first indication. The Samaritan, verse 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So in the time back then, the Romans had divided this land of Palestine into three regions, Judea in the south, Samaria was sandwiched right in the middle, and then you had Galilee up top. Well, these Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, as we've seen, and I'll touch on that here in just a second. But for the Jews to go through Samaria, that would make you unclean. For a rabbi, for a teacher, that was exceptionally wrong. So they would often cross the Jordan and then do a big arch and come to Galilee that way instead of going through Samaria. So the big picture behind this, and I'm not going to, I don't have time to touch on it, but you, you can find it in 1 Kings 11 through 12. So King David, King David who killed Goliath, his son Solomon, later in his life, turns, starts turning away from God to idols. So God says, okay, I'm taking the kingdom from you. And he slices it in half, gives the southern half to his son, gives the northern half to a man named Jer Jeroboam, and both kingdoms eventually dissolve into idol worship and falling farther away from God. The Assyrians come in, take the northern kingdom people away, bring other nations' peoples in. That's how they controlled conquered lands back then, was they forced different people groups to live together, and they intermarried. Um, well, eventually the same happens to the south. They get taken away. Bottom line, when God brings the Jews back, the, uh, the Samaritans, or I'm sorry, the, Jew, the Jews that were in the northern kingdom had intermarried, and so the Jews in the south said, nope, you guys aren't real Jews, uh, so you cannot be with us. You cannot do worship with us. So they both build their own temples. They both say that they have their own mountains that they worship on. So there's a lot of animosity between the two. In fact, history shows that the two groups had to actually have the Romans come in from time to time to to uh, squash some of the conflicts that would arise between the two groups. So one more instant, one more glimpse of just the, the conflict that existed between the two. In John 8, the Pharisees are saying, hey, Abraham's our father, 
Yeah, Jesus is saying, no, he's not. The devil is your father. And the, the Pharisees say to Jesus in John 8, 48, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? Okay, I think we kind of get the, at least if you're trying to insult, we kind of get the demon possessed part. But we don't understand the Samaritan piece. But yet that is said right in the same vein as, hey, aren't we right in saying that you're demon possessed? I mean, you see the, the antagonism between these two groups. So, continuing on, John 10, I'm sorry, John 4.10, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this is the first bit of imagery Jesus uses here, and he uses a lot here. But this living water is often used in the Old Testament as a metaphor for God's salvation. So Jesus, it's Jesus' first clue to her that, hey, God's salvation, me, is standing right in front of you, and I can offer you living water that satisfies forever. And we'll look at a couple of verses here later. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I love this woman, and we all would have had the exact same response. But it's easy for us because we're playing Monday morning quarterback. We know that she's talking with Jesus. At this moment in the story, though, this guy's a complete stranger. She's like, okay, yeah, I'm thirsty. Tell me where this is. So Jesus, though, uh, changes the direction of the conversation. He says, verse 16, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Okay, so now we know that this woman is viewed as the immoral woman in the town where she's from. And that kept everybody from her except Jesus. But you, sure, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, they've... They have theological differences as well. Two totally separate groups that are antagonistic towards each other. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This is where, again, Pastor Kirk or another pastor could spend a lot of time. But this is imagery. Jesus is saying, hey, all these things about rituals and locations, I'm actually looking for someone to worship me from my born-again heart where the spirit dwells. And he's also saying, there's all these man-made traditions that you guys have come up with no, I'm now the new truth. I am the truth. And future worshipers will worship through me. So that is what he is getting at. 
there. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then one of the most powerful lines in scripture, 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is a Paul-type conversion. I mean, she left came and went there in a moral woman with so much shame, and now she's returning totally set free with a born-again heart. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Okay, Jesus is using more imagery here with food is often a symbol in scripture for God's work, okay, or God's word. Job says, in the book of Job, he says, I desired his word more than I did actual food. So Jesus is saying that the food that satisfies him actually is God's word and what he does for God. Then verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So, okay, so what is our greatest needs? I've got three answers to that, and then an application, and then we'll conclude and wrap up. So, the first need we see, by the way, this is just in the order of the story. Not, not necessarily in the order of, of importance, but I'm just marching through the story. So, first need that you and I need is every soul needs to, need, needs to know they are infinitely valuable to Jesus. Every soul needs to know that they are infinitely valuable to Jesus. So, Jesus went to a Samaritan, and again, we, this was huge 2,000 years ago. He went to a Samaritan, and not just that, he went to a Samaritan woman, and he went to an immoral Samaritan woman. In the eyes of the Pharisees, that's three strikes. So Jesus, but that didn't keep Jesus away from this woman. Why? Because he sees a soul. So we must look at everybody and see the soul. There's 7.9 billion people on this earth, and they all have a soul. And Jesus sees past the exterior to what is inside. Church, check this out. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay, but it's not just Jesus. Satan also values your soul and mine as well, and all 7.9 billion for the opposite reason. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's a 19th century pastor, theologian. He says, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Like we have no clue about this spiritual warfare that's going on around us. There's a huge battle around us. <clears throat> so, just want to ask me and you some questions this morning. So, what do you see when you see someone else? When, when you actually behold another human being in front of you, what is it that you see? Do you see what they're wearing? Do you see what they're driving? Do you see where they work? Like, what are you looking for when you see another human being? How often do you look for things like sadness? How often do you look for things like loneliness in someone's, in someone's eyes? How often do you look for things like anger? So how, how often are you trying to look past what you see here? Another question, the Jews would go across the Jordan to get around Samaria. So who do you cross the Jordan, so to speak, to avoid? So just wrestle. It's just good. It's a good diagnostic heart check for us. So, I mean, who is it? Is it, a, you know, maybe there's, is it an old young thing? Is it, a, is it a rich, poor thing? Is it a race thing? Is it a political thing? What is it? I mean, is, is there a pocket in your heart that avoids someone because of some external thing when we need to pray and ask God to always give us the heart to look past those things and look into the soul. Let's stop and sit with this woman for a minute. Let's put our shoes in her, in, in, let, let's put ourselves in her shoes. So, I, I mean, it doesn't say, but I just wonder, what was her home life like? Growing up, what she loved? I mean, was she, was she cared for? Did she ever have anyone show her love? She's bouncing around from man to man. Why is that? Is it because she was... What, like, what was her life growing up like? How is she treated currently by the man she is with? And look, she came to that well so full of shame. I want to define shame for you. <clears throat> we can define shame as a feeling of embarrassment or humiliation that arises in relation to the perception of having done something dishonorable or immoral. I'm going to say it again. Shame can be defined as a feeling of embarrassment or humiliation that arises in relation to the perception of having done something dishonorable or immoral. So she came to that well so full of shame. Again, she's there by herself. Why? Because she's wanting to avoid the, the, the looks. She's wanting to avoid the, the gossip. <clears throat> so, but then I, I just wonder, I wish I could have seen what was going on in her heart. I just imagine Jesus is asking, hey, can I have a drink? I just imagine there's something starting to wake up in her. Don't, don't, don't underestimate just talking with someone and what that can do. Like she, like she, I think something started to spark in her heart, and she felt needed. Like, hey, okay, it's just a drink of water, but somebody's actually asking me for something. And then it keeps going on, and she's here with someone, capital S someone, who's now probing into her deeper and, and starting to call her out. And I'm sure that hurts, and we'll talk about that here too in just a minute. But her soul has got to be just coming alive. I mean, her, her, her heart's probably going a hundred different directions. But it's because someone is investing in her. Someone is 
paying attention to her. Like, who is this person who knows me and is not ashamed to be with me? Who is this who is treating me as if I do matter? And look, we, are, we all have more in common with her than we do with Jesus. We, we all came, we all have had shame in our, like none of us in here would want our, our, a record of our past to be run across the screen. We, we all have shame in our life, but Jesus comes to take that shame away. Jesus came to bear that shame for us. <clears throat> so I, just, I look at this woman here, though, and I, just, I see her coming out of her shame as the conversation goes, like, you know what's in wow, I am known. I am watched. Like, you know what's cool, church, is we, we are going to meet this woman one day. Like, she is in heaven. And I just wonder if, you could, if we could go out to lunch with her today and ask her, hey, what, what, what did you feel? when Jesus was there, and I just, something tells me, I think she would have said something along the lines of, I felt so valuable to him. So Jesus intentionally came to Samaria to meet this woman. He had this planned out before the creation of the world. So first need that every soul, you and I need to see that our souls are so infinitely valuable to to God. Okay, um, second need. Again, just marching through this story. Every soul needs Jesus. Every soul needs Jesus. Verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to paraphrase this quote. It's a pretty famous quote, though, but he says, he says, We spend our times on things like drugs and alcohol and sex and pursuing all the things that this world has to offer, not knowing what we have potentially in Jesus. And he compares it to a boy over, you know, over, in, this, over in this part of the neighborhood playing with mud pies, not realizing that there's a beach vacation just right down the road. And that's what we are when we're pursuing the things of this world and we're not pursuing Jesus Christ that's what we're like. Yeah, Jesus came and he said, I satisfy, and he does. Jesus does satisfy. He satisfies perfectly. Look, if you're, maybe you're a non-Christian here today, maybe you're just visiting. I, I do want to put a little disclaimer out here, though. Please know that Christians are not called to just paste, paste a fake smile on their face and walk around as if life is just always grand. We have a book called the Psalms in the Old Testament. I encourage you just read through that. You will see a range of emotions from anger and dis- from, from joy and happiness all the way to anger and despair. So please know that the Christian life is not a, it's not a just pasting this fake smile on our face. But I will say that underneath all of that, though, Jesus does satisfy. Underneath all of that, instead of running to those mud pies that we used to play with, we have Jesus now 
to hold us up and satisfy us even through those tough times. And he doesn't just satisfy for this life, he satisfies forever. He says, I will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So look, the scripture does say that we, prior to Christ, we need a savior. We are not good people, as it were. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ came to take our sin, to take our shame, and nail that to the cross and give us that everlasting life. Psalm 36.9 says, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. And Isaiah 55.1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And there's other scriptures in the Old Testament, but Jesus comes to give us satisfaction now, but he comes to save us and give us satisfaction for all of eternity. Every soul needs to know that they are infinitely valuable. Every soul needs to to have Jesus Christ. All right, and the last need that we see here in this story is that every soul needs godly truth. Every soul needs godly truth. So Jesus is pouring grace upon grace on this woman. He loves her enough to strike up a conversation with her. I mean, the one woman he should never have had a conversation with. But Jesus also pours some truth on this woman. I mean, just listen to this. And he says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Then in verse 22, it says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 26, and Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So Jesus, just to paint the picture, if you were one of the disciples and he sent all the others to town, but he wanted you to stay back, wouldn't this have been a little uncomfortable? Wouldn't this have just been, whoa, Jesus, this is just a little uncomfortable now. Okay, but, but every soul needs godly truth. Every, we all have had someone speak some truth into our lives, and I'm sure we are all thankful for that. Listen to, church, when it comes to truth and godly truth, Jesus didn't get crucified because he went around healing people, feeding them, and telling everyone just how great they were. He got crucified because he said some tough things. He got crucified because he challenged the ruling religious elite at that time, and it put him on a cross. He got crucified because he claimed to be the only way to God. That is some hard truth, but it is truth. Matthew 26, 63 through 65, it says, The high priest said to him, I charge you. This is uh, Jesus was just arrested. He was brought to the Sanhedrin. Pharisees are looking for a way to kill him. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Verse 64, you have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see, see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. So, that and other things is why Jesus was crucified. So I don't have time to turn to all these scripture references, but we see confrontations throughout scripture and some tough challenges to Samuel. 
12, when the prophet Nathan confronted King David over his adulterous affair. Uh, Paul confronted Peter in Galatians. John the Baptist confronted King Herod. Paul confronted the church in Corinthians. And many of those had amazing outcomes too and amazing responses. So I'm, I'm not good at this. I, I think I'm getting better. I hope I'm getting better. We all should be striving for that. I, this is not fun. This is, we all love this, the, just the grace and stuff, but, there is, but we all need some godly truth. The Bible, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, and we do that by refining each other and, and speaking into each other's lives. Um, but look, people know when you love them, they do. There's a huge difference between standing on a street corner and saying it with a sign that says, God hates fill in the blank. Okay, there's a huge difference between that and you lovingly looking someone in the eyes and challenging them and gently, pro- and gently probing them on something. I think, I think there are two errors that we can make in the Christian community on this. Okay, I think the one, on one extreme, we can come over here and never say anything about anything to anyone just to keep the peace and so we don't ruffle any feathers. But, or we walk over here to the other extreme and we think that we're the sin police. We have to call people out for everything. Okay, and we're constantly speaking and, and telling everybody what they're doing wrong. So much of the Christian life is tension and we just have to live in that tension. And this is a perfect example of that. And we just, we need God's spirit and God's help to help us navigate that. But every soul needs godly truth. And I think this woman would have affirmed that indeed. For those of you, when you are challenged, when someone speaks into your life, okay, remember Proverbs 27.6. I love this. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses, or profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I love that. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. So if somebody's a friend in your life and they bring a challenge to you, remember this and take stock of what they said. Okay, they're saying it because they love you. All right. So, just to, someone needs to know how every soul needs flying through this, this story. It's an awesome story. Every soul needs to know how infinitely valuable they are. Every soul needs Jesus. Every soul needs godly truth. And I believe this woman would have affirmed that. Okay, application. We Christians need to see that witnessing is thrilling. Witnessing is so exciting. Look, obedience is not easy, right? Obedience is, sometimes obedience is easy, actually. Sometimes obedience is very easy. We just love obeying the Lord. Sometimes obedience is hard. And I, and I think that is very clear when it comes to evangelism and witnessing. There are times the last thing I want to do is go witness to someone, but I feel that tug on my heart. Okay, but there are times when it is so, so awesome and you actually see the hand of God working through you to reach someone else. Look at the, so I'm going to read through the last half of this, of this section. Just listen to what Jesus describes has just happened here with the Samaritan woman in this town. He says, my food, this is starting in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Okay, so look at that wording. Food, it's nourishing, right? Tastes good. This work satisfies. The harvest is good. We are gathering food to eat. Always a good thing, right? Draws a wage. This is a eternal life. May be glad, reaped, many believed. Like this, this is exciting. Like this is good news of what's happening here. Church, I submit to you, there's no greater, there's no greater feeling on this earth than to bring someone to the Lord or to go around planting seeds and be that influence in someone's life. A few years ago at my work, I worked alongside this one fellow. We were mostly just acquaintances, didn't know him that well, but I just felt God leaning on me to just to go witness to him. So I caught him out in the hallway one day, and I said, I said, hey, man, this is, this is going to be a weird question, but uh, the last question that you're going to expect, but uh, do you know where you're going when you die? And he kind of chuckled. He's like, yeah, Greg, that's the last thing I expected you to ask me right now. I said, Okay. But we had just a good discussion about uh, Jesus. We had a good discussion just about eternal life. And he's, you know, I'm still searching. I don't know what's out there. Uh, but I was able to plant a seed. About five months later, he comes and he stops me. He says, Greg, he says, I need to, um, I need to speak with you because uh, I know you love God and things ain't going so well at home for me. And I was just able to, God says about this, talk with him and, uh, help him navigate it, say, hey, here's what God says about this and this. Um, and so and then he moved on. I don't, you know, I was able to plant a seed. He didn't come to Christ on the spot. His issues didn't, I didn't help, his issues weren't resolved. But just the fact that God had planned for me to be right there, to talk with him, help him navigate through some stuff as best I could. And hopefully that bears the ultimate fruit later on in life. But you will see those things if you are just always on mission to say, God, use me, because God wants to use you. Jesus says in John 21, he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Amen. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And the cool thing is, church, you get to keep updating your testimony. You get to keep updating your testimony. Just about two weeks ago, a guy came over to my house to uh, fix a, we uh, had an issue with the keys, uh, with, with the door lock, and he, uh, and he fixed it. But as he's leaving, I just said, hey, I just felt led to give you this book about, about Jesus and about God, and he takes it, he said, hmm, he's like, yeah, well, me and my fiance, we've been talking about needing to go to church, okay, just, I just felt, oh, God, that's awesome, like, some, you're already prompt in his heart, here's just some more seeds that I can plant in his life, so in church, I've, I've absolutely blown it, I've actually had a Peter moment of, through my actions, denying Jesus Christ, and it was very convicting, so I, yeah, I've, I've failed in that area. It is hard. It is hard work. But you will see the hand of God. This story that we see with a woman, this isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago and it's not going to happen again. So these things are, God has prepared each of us to go out and be his salt and light to this world. So imagine what, just want to, like, before we get to the conclusion, 
But what do you think Peter and the disciples, John, were talking about that night? Like how good the food was in Samaria or, or yeah, hey, I'm really glad this is a shortcut. Glad we came this way. No, I think they were saying, wow, did you see what Jesus, and this woman, can you see this whole town has come to believe in him? And this woman can now walk around with her head held high. So Jesus came and transformed this woman, and it had to have just been the talk that night between the disciples. Okay, so conclusion. I just want to wrap this up with, with again, the question I just asked is, what does every soul need? But what do you look at when you see another human being? What, are, what do you see in them? Are you looking for that soul? I encourage you to look for the soul inside someone and that will change your life that will change how we all walk through this world when we look for the soul that's in every person so all right let's pray heavenly father uh god i pray that you were glorified lord jesus i pray that your name was just magnified. I pray that we would recall the story often. God, I pray we see all souls the way that you see them. I pray that we look to love on and come alongside and and just love on people the way that you did, Jesus. So use us, Lord, to be your hands, to be your feet, uh, to be your mouthpiece, Lord. So, and God, I just pray that you would uh, fascinate us, Lord, as we go through this week. God, fascinate, fascinate us with the truths of this story, Lord. So, we love you, Jesus, and it's in your great name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.